This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, Sustainability, the Business Opportunity of the 21st Century. We are at a moment of enormous global change and even greater business opportunity. Climate change is the single biggest commercial opportunity of our time, and this podcast sustainability guru Richard Blundell and myself explore the opportunities open to businesses which embrace sustainability from the business perspective. Find out why sustainability is the greatest business opportunity of the 21st century. Hello everyone, Tom Fox and Richard Blundell back for another episode. Today, Richard, I wanted to start with a question for you. What are the approaches you might suggest, or at least are being discussed to get us to net zero. Great to see you again, Tom, and to be with you as always. So I think there's three broad-based approaches to get to net zero, and we'll focus on a couple of them and not so much on the first one. So the first one is taking cost and carbon out of operations and supply chains. So those that's what we all know a lot about, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of examples, a lot of research, a lot of places you can go to get help to learn how to do that. And those are everything from renewable energy, replacing fossil fuels with renewable energy, becoming more energy efficient with our buildings, becoming more energy efficient with our transportation. It's all those things that we typically talk a lot about. The second one, which is less, I think, known or maybe becoming more important or more mainstream is employing sustainability as a source of innovation to drive new, and this is important, new circular growth, right? It's not about just new growth. It's about the growth that we need to seek today needs to be circular. And so circularity basically means that all the inputs and all of the outputs throughout the life cycle of whatever we're building or making or delivering are held at their highest utility. So I may have an output, they may be somebody else's input. So it's really looking at reducing waste or eliminating it entirely. And I think that's that's the area that I spend all of my time working with customers and whether they're early stage companies or large corporates on figuring out how do we, how can they use sustainability as their source of innovation to drive circular growth, new growth. And then the last one is influencing customer behavior. And it's probably the most challenging. It's really hard to change customers' behavior. But all of this speaks to what we had earlier, we talked about a little bit earlier about this notion of scope one, two, and three. Scope three, which is all of the emissions related to the product, your product or services that are embedded in your supply chain and in your customers, that's really the behavioral piece is really scope three. And one of the things, and one of the reasons why scope three is becoming increasingly important to understand is in some jurisdictions, it's already regulated. So in the EU, for instance, you have to meet net zero means scope one, two, and three. Scope one being the emissions that I produced directly from my operations, scope two being the emissions from the purchase of energy that I use in my operations. But scope three now 
in the EU is becoming regulated. I think it's now it's been discussed at the SEC. It's going to I think it'll eventually come. But there's another part to this, which is becoming very interesting. And that is that the banks are using scope three as a way to actually influence how they will finance their customers growth going forward. In other words, if you come to a bank today, because scope three for a bank are the emissions associated with their financial services, their financial products, whether they're equity or debt products. So banks are now saying, we're going to use our financing as a tool, as a way to actually influence our customers to ensure that they, they, start, to, they start to transition to lower carbon businesses or lower carbon economies. And so they have a very, I think, important role to play here. And people like Larry Fink and others who are very large asset managers using the same tool. And the reason why they do this also is because it makes complete sense. Because if I am a bank and I am lending an organization money that is not transitioning to a net zero outcome, but is continuing to pollute, that means that I, the long-term viability of that business in a world that is moving to net zero increases the risk of that loan for the bank. So we're, they're also using this as a risk mitigation tool, really, to reduce their risk in their loan book against companies that are not making a legitimate effort to actually move towards a net zero world. Does that make sense? It does. So you mentioned Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock, which I believe is the largest hedge fund, or if not the largest, one of the largest in the world. And I've had the opportunity to speak with people at hedge, fund, hedge funds who work in the generally the ESG area. And their approach is generally to be collaborative with the companies that they are stewards in and of. And they certainly want and receive information, uh, but they also bring new and innovative ideas. But it's at an oversight level. So I first wanted to ask, or have you been involved at that higher level? And in prior podcasts, we talked about literally some on-the-ground startups, beginning with the idea and then actually beginning with the commitment and then moving forward to developing the idea. But at that higher level, is that type of oversight something that you see as a positive as well? Yeah, it is. I think that's the governance part. Like, that's the G, right? The governance here plays a very, very important role. And I always think of governance as a very, for me, governance is, a, is really quite simple. It's just really the art of good decision making. And so governance here matters in a big way. And so there needs to be oversight. And the other thing is that oversight or governance creates accountability and that it is governed by process. And I think we've talked about this before about process over genius, but it's so important to have process because process is real. So this is where you learn, right? This is where you try something, it works or it doesn't work. When you have process in place, you capture those inputs, you're able to feed them back into the system, into the process and allow for you to, to improve, to learn or to pivot in cases where you really, you've hit a dead end. So yeah, I think 
broad the broad oversight is really important and i think the what we see more and more of course is and i think this is when you really see a company embrace esg or sustainability fully is when they embed that into everybody's performance measurement so rather than having a group of people that are responsible for sustainability as a standalone exercise in the organization it becomes everybody's responsibility and eventually those those sustainability departments disappear because it becomes everybody's job and i think really good leadership or really great leadership is does that very well it's got the ability to actually create accountability across the organization at the same time as inspiring people because inspiration is equally important it's really interesting you say that because as i come out of the world of anti-corruption compliance and mm-hmm. anti-corruption compliance we say the front line defense against corruption is literally the business person on the ground whether that be the united states canada or anywhere in the world and that a corporate compliance function sits behind that frontline business person. And I thought I just heard you articulate that it's the same with sustainability. Yeah. It's really moving it towards the front line, making everyone accountable in a transparent manner that you can see what they're doing. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, but it, absolutely. And said, and I think that, the, but there's a really, there's a really, compelling business reason reason for moving that to the front line too. And that is that the front line are the people that interface with your customers. They're the people that interface with your suppliers. They're the people that interface with the communities where you operate and the communities in which you serve. So how can somebody running a global organization sitting remotely from the front line be able to really understand what is going on you know, in the markets that you're operating in and really understand the needs of all of the stakeholders, because this is a measure of materiality at the end of the day of what is really material for the company and for all of its stakeholders to do well. And the only way you can do that is by empowering that front line to actually make decisions, be creative, come up with new ways of thinking about things, be collaborative with different parts of the uh, of the communities where they operate so that they're the best ones to actually make these decisions. So the governance piece is really a set of processes that we use to just make good decisions. But the decisions need to be, and the good leaders allow for this to happen, need to be made in the field, need to be made close to the customer, close to the stakeholders, close to the suppliers. I really like that phrase, close to the stakeholders, close to the employees, and close to the suppliers. I'm not sure I've heard it articulated in quite that way, but you're absolutely right, and I think you're absolutely on to something. Let me maybe take it in a little bit different direction. So I grew up in the energy industry, largely, and the energy industry had a huge change in the area of safety in the late 1980s. And I was in Houston, the Gulf Coast, and there were two or three absolute catastrophic plant explosions with large loss of life and large loss of property and life. 
And then there was the Exxon Valdez, which at that point was one of the largest environmental disasters ever. And Exxon, one of Exxon's responses was they looked inward and found their culture of safety lacking within their organization. And they decided to make culture, safety rather, number one priority. And they did that internally. And because they were Exxon, they said, if you want to do business with us, you must make safety a number one priority. And so they drove a safety of a culture of safety literally through an entire industry. One of the things that it led to was companies I worked with 20 years after that started every meeting of two or more people with a safety moment. And there was a continuum, there was an annual daily, once a year, there was a safety stand down for a 40,000 employee company where we talked about nothing but safety. And it was led by literally the CEOs of the companies or the business unit you were involved with. A long-winded way of saying that they communicated the importance of safety to someone like me, and I was in the general counsel's office, really not going out doing a lot of unsafe things, so I thought. But it turned out that there was a lot of unsafe things that you should think about even if you're in an office building. Once again, with a very long-winded way of saying, if you want to change a culture, you can. I have seen it happen in many ways, safety is light years beyond a compliance uh, culture because they've been doing this since the late 80s and early 90s. And it sounds like there may be a way to, to utilize that model for sustainability as well. If that is a fair assessment, how would you assess something like that? Yeah, no, I agree. I remember the Valdez, and of course, I remember the Gulf Coast. Is What was that? The BP? Uh, but- yeah, I forgot. Condo. I, uh, that was th- that offshore rig that, that spewed all kinds of millions of gallons of oil into the Gulf Coast and ruined all those ecosystems for generations. And that was the same issue, right? When they went back and they looked at the at the culture, their safe the culture of safety, the CEO at the time, they had a very strong culture of safety prior to this, I think his name was Brown came in and he spent so much energy cutting costs that became the culture. And so the culture of safety, which they had worked so hard on, evaporated and it was all about cutting costs. They found all these problems just like Exxon did. And Brown will say that that's not at all the case, but I don't believe that at all. I think the reality is that just it, that became the new culture. And, and, and it gets back to the earlier question that you mentioned, how important is oversight? That's a really good, that's a great example of really poor oversight. It becomes, it's a really good example of very poor leadership, not just oversight, leadership. But yes, yeah, so there's absolutely that, that this is how, so I wanted to use one example because it's one that I know well. HP, HP Hewlett Packard has a program called Amplify Impacts, and it is their it is their program that they use to actually help their suppliers. And there's two tiers of you can join this program as a supplier, and there's one tier where is your basic level of understanding of sustainability, and we're going to give you some tools to get started. And then there's the more advanced program, but they're really and they've also one of the nice things about Amplify Impact is it's not just about environmental outcomes, it's more, it's just as much about so, social outcomes. So they're really 
focused on a just transition, right? So that becomes extremely important to them. And so they've embedded all of the principles of diversity, inclusion, equality that are so important to this transition. And But they've created a program with tools, with guidance, with, with, with their employees actually putting time into training. It's impressive. And I think companies like that that are, that are actually walking the, walking the talk, so to speak, that have made massive commitments publicly to their net zero journey, but are doing it across their entire across their entire supply chain it is super impressive. Richard, that would seem like a great way to end this episode. I can't wait to see what we can come up with next. Neither time. can I. This is a lot of fun talk. Thanks. This is Tom Fox. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of sustainability, the business opportunity of the 21st century. I've linked to information on Richard's contact information in the show notes. So if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to him directly. Also, if you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever great podcasts are listened to. Sustainability, the business opportunity of the 21st century, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.